Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 68 of the Snyder Cut. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 68 of the Snyder Cut. Sorry, I'm winded. It's coming up some stairs, taking care of my niece. Um, whew, it's a good day, a good week in America, right? We got a new president. Go Joe. Um, love the whole inauguration special. Uh, yeah, hope we never have to really hear from Donald Trump again. Um... Lots to talk about this week. Well, maybe not that much because it was a slow week. You know, people kind of chilled out on the announcements uh, with the inauguration and everything. I did want to apologize, though. You know, I feel like last week's episode didn't meet my own standards. You know, like I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact uh, that we talk about some tough stories on the Snyder Cut. It's not just, uh, you know, who's going to play the superhero and, you know, the stuff that you hear on every other movie podcast. But at the same time, uh, you know, I stick my foot in my mouth from time to time. Things don't come out the way that I that they are in my uh, head. Um, there's no co-host here. It's just me talking for an hour. Um, so there's no time to really gather my thoughts or, or anybody to, to, to challenge me on things that I say. And listen, I just I know I don't always phrase things the best way. Uh, but I, I carry no hate, no bias in my heart. I know that. I think the people who know me and what I've been through in my life know that. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to continue on and I'm just going to do the best I can and do a better job. Um, let's start by talking about the Wonka story this week. This announcement kind of came out of nowhere that Warner Brothers had dated uh, it's a new Willy Wonka movie, I believe for March 2023. Is that it? I can't even believe how far into the future we are. Um, but this is something that I think Variety reported that they want to start filming in the next four months. So this summer, essentially, uh, is, it, is it March 2022 or March 2023? Hold on. I forgot already. Um, Wonka release date 2020. Uh, anyways, I had heard, all right, it is 2023, March 17th, 2023. So I'd heard, you know, with a movie of this size, you're talking about hundred million dollars roughly, right? There or, or, or thereabouts. Um, not a huge $200 million gigantic tentpole sort of thing, but you know, an expensive potential franchise starter nonetheless. So there's only a handful of young stars who you could even finance this movie around, right? Uh, now, when I first got to Collider, like day one, um, I said that the shortlist for the Wonka role at that time was Ryan Gosling, Donald Glover, and Ezra Miller. Now, since then, you can pretty much write off Ezra Miller, right? I mean, yeah, Warner Brothers just still invested him with, you know, the Fantastic Beasts franchise and The Flash, but, you know, he was already locked into those roles. I think if, if they had to do it all over again, I don't really think that they'd cast Ezra Miller, who also, outside of those two huge Warner Brothers franchises hasn't really done a whole lot. Uh, although I understand he's, you know, it pops up in the stand, uh, you know, taking a big swing and, and missing. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's like, I'd love to see Donald Glover as Wonka, but I don't really feel like it's something that he's actively pursuing or ever actively pursued. And then Gosling, 
you know, since then uh, has just signed on for like a ton of different projects. You know, he's filming The Gray Man right now with Chris Evans, but he's also got, you know, that astronaut project with Lord Miller and then like a, a you know, Wolfman movie. Like, I, I feel like Ryan Gosling has a, a full dance card. Ah, oh, little boo-boo is crying, if you can hear her in the background, my niece. So anyways... <laughs> The only movie podcast with a crying baby in the background. Uh, so anyways, I heard that Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet were high on the studio's list for potential Wonkas. I mean, both of these guys, if they're not movie stars, like you can't just slap their name over a movie and guarantee, you know, box office success or anything. But I think for people, you know, 25 and under, these are the, these are the two guys. Like this is as recognizable as it gets. Yeah, there's Lucas Hedges, but I don't really see a world where, where Lucas Hedges is, is Willy Wonka. Um, you know, I think I think that they both actually make good Wonkas. Uh, I think Timmy could really use a movie like Wonka. Yeah, he sort of comes off like the young Johnny Deppish. You know, he has that kind of heartthrob look to him um, in a way that I don't necessarily think that, that Tom Holland has. But like Timmy needs it, like he's done all these adult movies, right? I mean, even even Dune looks, you know, aimed at adults. Uh, but but Call Me by Your Name and Beautiful Boy and The King, like it's it's dark, it's moody. I'd like to see Timmy do a family film, something that everyone can see. Um, you know, Tom Holland has Spider Man, so like you know, kids know who who Tom Holland is, and that may be why he you know may have the edge in, in this one. I mean, I think that Wonka is a better choice for him than like Uncharted, or certainly you know what is the next one that's coming up, Chaos Walking, right? You know, like he's he's got the Marvel stuff to fall back on. Tom Holland, the last movie what he was in was the you know the Devil All the Time. He's got Cherry coming out next month. On, uh, on Apple TV, um, you know, those are two adult things. Maybe he wants to go back and, and, and do something that is a little bit more kid-friendly that isn't Spider-Man. Uh, listen, I, I, I think Taika Waititi would make a great Wonka, but he's just developing two different animated Netflix shows about Willy Wonka and the Oompa Loompas and everything. So, like, I don't think he's going to add a third Willy Wonka project to his plate. He's, he's already, you know, he's got his hands full anyways with Thor, Love and Thunder. Who else would be good? Like, I, I saw a lot of Lakeith Stanfield talk. I think, um, uh, I think he'd be good. I just don't know if Lakeith is at the same, is at the level where Warner Brothers would finance like a hundred million dollar movie around him. And that's sort of, uh, man, I gotta, I gotta mute the, uh, the Slack notifications else they will just be going off through all of this. I always forget to do that. Uh, so Lakeith Stanfield, it's, I feel like there's a disconnect between these are great actors, which Lakeith Stanfield is, and then these are actors who could actually get a movie like this financed. Um, I don't think Lakeith is on that, that list quite yet. Um, and I thought, you know, it, if Judas and the Black Messiah had, had blown me away or, or was like the presumed best picture front runner for Warner Brothers, maybe he'd stand a better chance. Um, I don't think that's the case. So yeah, in, 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 a, in a battle between Chalamet and, and Tom Holland, these, these are very different Willy Wonkas. You know, I'm not entirely sure what they, 
what they have in mind, like as far as like his, his origin story, because like, you know, people, they, they know Willy Wonka because he had a giant chocolate factory and he had the Oompa Loompas. And so if you're doing a sort of prequel to all that before he becomes the amazing chocolatier and before, you know, maybe, maybe when maybe he's going to to discover the Oompa Loompas and, and bring them back to, you know, wherever. I don't know. I, I kind of think Tom Holland would be wonderful for this. He is kind of my choice. And, and you know, he he can do the song and dance thing, right? He, we've seen him in, in drag, sing and dancing, all that. Uh, he he is more of like a Gene Wilder type Wonka. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that those are two really good guys to choose from. They don't have anything on their IMDb like plates. I mean, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic and you know, start dates are totally up in the air. Everything's unclear, but like just looking at their development slates and again, I'm not privy to everything that they have going on. There was nothing that, that that stood out to me as like, oh no, that's a reason why he couldn't do Wonka this summer. Um, so I think both these guys are pretty available. It's just you know, I, I don't know if either of them are actively pursuing this project. I, I just think that they are they are very high on, on Warner Brothers' list. Uh, that will do it for that item. Let's move on to Ethan Hawke as the villain in Moon Knight. I dig this. You know, I mean, yeah, Ethan Hawke has come out and said. Yeah, I'm not really interested in the superhero thing. Um, but you know what? A supervillain is different than a superhero, isn't it? I, I think that's why maybe some of some of the better actors that we've had in comic book movies, they, they're typically cast as the villains because villains are just more to explore and, and to play with. Ethan Hawke as a villain um, makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think he'd be, I think he'd do a great job. I don't really know too much about the villain in Moon Knight, although it is described as a character named Bushman, who was like, a, you know, a fellow mercenary with Moon Knight. And then, you know, Egyptian gold came into the picture and he turned on the guy. Uh, you know, I, I can totally see that. I think Ethan Hawke makes a lot of sense for that. Uh, and I'm sure that there will be other, you know, villains throughout the series. Ethan Hawke is just the main one. Um, and yeah, you know, people are entitled to change their minds. You know, yeah, I mean, Ethan Hawke, the guy has paid his dues in the indie world. It's not like he's just like doing these kinds of projects nonstop. And this is the latest one. Like this is definitely a change of pace for Ethan Hawke. And uh, I think he's a solid addition to the, to the, I, I was going to say the MCU. And then I stopped myself because it's a series, but really the series and the TV sh uh, and the movies are going to go hand in hand. So yeah, it's the MCU. The, the, the Marvel cinematic universe is going to be unfolding on your television on Disney plus. Right. Uh, I, I, I like that higher. It's, you know, good, good for Ethan Hawke. Um, Josh Dumel coming in to replace Army Hammer in Shotgun Wedding. I mean, this is like a, you know, it would be minor casting news that we probably wouldn't have even necessarily picked up uh, if it wasn't for the whole Army Hammer, you know, social media scandal, uh, which I continue to learn more about, you know, I think people were getting down on him last week for they're sort of kink shaming him. Um, but you know, there's also issues of, of consent that have arisen and whether these, you know, women consented to, to some of these acts that, that he encouraged them to do, or, you know, consented to some of the, the way that he, he talked to them or whatever, you know, Ar army, like I said, came, last week sort of came out and, and denied it all. And uh, I, I think I like army. I, I think, um, I hope that this blows over for him. And that he gets to do that Godfather show on, on, you know, Paramount Plus, which is going to launch now. Like it was, 
that was like supposed to be the big event series that Paramount Plus like launches with. Uh, it definitely, it's definitely an event now. Um, Josh Dumel, you know, I think it's kind of perfect for him, right? Like this isn't, he's not a great actor. He's not a great thespian. He's a good looking guy, you know? Uh, and so can I see him playing Jennifer Lopez's fiance going to some, you know, remote destination wedding uh, and then all hell breaks loose and, and, you know, he has to protect JLo or maybe who knows, you know, knowing JLo, she may be the one kicking ass, but uh, you know, having to fight back against these, I don't know who, who takes them hostage, terrorists, mer- mercenaries, whatever. Uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me. And I, and I liked uh, Josh's directorial debut buddy games. Like I said in my article, it was about as stupid as it gets as far as a movie goes but sometimes you just want to watch those kinds of movies. You know, he, he got together you know, five guys who would probably show up to, to any movie set, but they had a certain chemistry. And uh, I don't know, like, I think my brothers both watched it separately. Like we all watched it individually and I think we all liked it. It's, it's a guilty pleasure. So I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. Like I'm, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see Josh Dumel return to directing and maybe with something a little bit more mature, but it'll be after this this acting gig, um, shotgun wedding. And, you know, I'm sure, I don't think Army is like gonna be kicking himself over this one. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I cost myself this role in, in shotgun wedding. Uh, he's gonna take his lumps and, and hopefully recover from all this because man, if, if we're canceling uh, celebrities now for, for talking dirty or for, you know, what they do in their, their sex lives behind closed doors, like, uh, that, that's, that's a slippery slope, believe me. Um, here was an interesting one. Okay, speaking of, you know, things that happen behind closed doors and slippery slopes and all that, Master of None, Aziz Ansari's Netflix show, said to be returning to Netflix for season three, that will be set in London and potentially co-star Naomi Aki, who uh, who's in you know Star Wars: the, the Rise of Skywalker, and she just got cast as Wynn Houston. And I want to dance with somebody. Um, I love Master, and I truly think it's one of the best things Netflix has ever done. I think it came in fifteenth on Collider's like overall rankings of the best Netflix shows of all time. Um, and yeah, like it, it was a, it was a brilliant season two, like, you know, largely set in Italy or, you know, Italian flavored and, uh, you know, get a new love interest. And then by the end of that, you know, she, uh, I think it's Alessandra Mastronardi. She slipped off the, the engagement ring that Dev had, had given her. Um, so it was like a great kind of cliffhanger. And then everything happened with Aziz and the show just disappeared for, for a few years, um, I'm relieved to hear that it's coming back because I don't think that that story was done. And I do think it's an important, uh, valuable kind of plug in uh, show, you know, not just to have, uh, you know, someone like Aziz, a, you know, a person of color leading a show like that, but, you know, characters like, like Lena Waithe and um, Kelvin Yu and like, you know, Aziz's parents. And there's just a lot uh, that I would hate to see go away because of, of, of that controversy. And I think if they waited enough time, they didn't just sort of say, well, that was nothing. And we're just going to do our show because it's a hit show. Because he's really took the time to like work on himself as a, as a man, as a human being. I really respected his uh, right now comedy special, whether or not you think that was the place to address some of the allegations and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, 
I'm not the the arbiter of how much time has passed. There's no like table. There's no like book that says you must wait this long before you can resume your career or anything. But I think it's time for Aziz to, to get back out there. And uh, Naomi Aki sounds like a really interesting love interest for him on the show. And yeah, I hope all goes well. The interesting thing about that report, which came from a UK comedy site called Chortle, uh, was that the show actually may have started production last spring. And uh, then the pandemic hit and they kind of just had to, had to sh- close up shop and pretend like nev- nothing ever happened. Um, that is kind of interesting to me. The way it all kind of got swept under the rug. Uh, Netflix picking up Gal Gadot's new movie, Heart of Stone. This is a spy thriller uh, from Skydance. It was developed over there by my pal Amy Rivera. Um, you know, I don't know much about Heart of Stone or how it will distinguish itself from other spy franchises, but, uh, I mean, a smart peg up, right? Gal Gadot doing an action spy movie thriller kind of thing. Yeah. If you're Netflix, that's, that is what you shell out the money for. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of gal backlash, you know, to Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, Red Notice is going to come out at the end of the year, so so that'll be sort of in between this. Um, but like, you know, I, I think Wonder Woman eighty four sort of ex, I mean, exposed Gal to an extent. She is a perfect Wonder Woman, but is she a great actress? Can she play a character who's not Wonder Woman? I, I just don't think that we know that yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether audiences buy her outside of that costume, whether they're, they're willing to, to watch this Heart of Stone movie. Like, is this something that it's going to put up Chris Hemsworth in extraction type numbers? Or is this going to be closer to the, the maybe 30, 40, 50 million uh, viewers in the first month? I mean, the other thing about all these stats and everything, right? Which, you know, similar to, to box office conundrums and things like that as, as the audiences grew. And, uh, but um Netflix has 200 million dollars, uh, 200 million, 200, Netflix has 200 million subscribers now, 203 million, if I'm not mistaken. That was according to their uh, Q4 earnings report and everything that came out this week. You know, last we checked, Disney Plus is still back at like 86 million. So they've got a sizable jump on Disney Plus. They've probably got twice as many uh, subs as like an Amazon, which is, you know, probably over 100 million um not exactly sure what Amazon's tally is, but Netflix, you know, has really penetrated almost every market on the planet. Uh, 200 million subscribers is a lot, you know, and, and that's tough. Like you, I, I know that there's no box office and your movie may not be seen on the big screen and all that, but if you have a chance to sell something to Netflix and, and get 200 million eyeballs on it 400 million you know there's two eyes a piece um but 200 million you know viewers it's tough to turn that down you know because i mean it all depends what you're motivated by i would think that these artists are motivated by i want my movie to be seen rather than you know i want to make x amount of dollars or you know i want a awards campaign or whatever you just you know you just want the work that you do to be seen otherwise you know it's like, are you a writer if nobody reads your stuff? Are you an actor if nobody watches your stuff? That kind of thing. So I, I think that's a huge advantage that, that Netflix has over its competitors. Uh, but at least it has competitors now. And Netflix did acknowledge them 
uh, particularly Disney Plus and, and what it has done in the space. I know Netflix wants to um, ramp up its animation efforts. We saw today that they, they acquired that Lord and Miller movie that was called Connected and is now like the Mitchells versus the Machines or something. They can they got that from Sony Pictures Animation. So I think that they, yeah, they want to at least make, make Netflix sweat on the animation front. And they're not alone because who else, you know, uh, is ramping up their animation division is Bad Robot. JJ's company. Um, they, they made a big exec hire this week uh, with an eye on, on doing more in the animated space. And they have access to all of, you know, Warner Media's uh, IP and, and characters and stuff. So don't be surprised if you see JJ Abrams do an animated uh, DC series. You know, could we see the Green Lantern Corps become an animated show? Or I, I don't know. But uh, I think that there's a lot of things to play with, particularly in the in the adult animation space. Could you imagine a Freddy Krueger animated show potentially? Like, I mean, I think there's a lot there's a lot of fun you could have, and and that's sort of the beauty of these streaming series is that you can take more risks and take a few chances uh, with, with the animated stuff that you uh, make. You know, I, I was just talking about, uh, you know, as an actress, you want your movie to be seen and, and that kind of thing. So I wanted to talk about this movie that, that we brought up uh, two weeks ago. It's called Run, Hide, Fight. So it's a school shooting movie with a, uh, I, I guess people are saying that there's a conservative bent to it. I don't, again, I don't really see politics. I don't think of movies in terms of ifs or isms. Uh, I can I can sort of see the conservative angle to to, to the reviews and, and what people what what some of the critics are getting at. I mean, there's only a handful of reviews on this thing, right? I think there's only seven reviews in on Rotten Tomatoes, where the movie has like a 14% fresh rating and then a 98% audience score, and, and that's about the disconnect, right, between critics and, and the actual you know uh, audience for this movie. So I'll say right off the bat, it, it is available. I had my website wrong. It is on the Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's site. I couldn't pick Ben Shapiro from a hole in the wall. Um, but I really wanted to see this movie. But I also felt very uncomfortable because, you know, like I went to the Daily Wire first time ever and, you know, looked at how I could actually watch this movie. And they're like, you know, you can, I don't even know if it was $4.99 or $9.99, but they wanted your email address and they wanted you to subscribe. And, you know, once you get behind the paywall of the site, you get access to the movie. And then you get the, the newsletters. The newsletter was called like Leftist Tears or something like that. And I'm like, I, I don't want this shit in my inbox every day. What are you, crazy? I don't want get, to be getting daily wire emails or be on their, their newsletter list. But at the same time, I want to watch this movie. So I reached out to someone involved in the movie and got myself a link because I just, I could not in good conscience bring myself to give money to the Daily Wire, no matter how badly I want to see the movie. I would rather skip the movie than give them my information and, and, uh, and my money. Um, and here's the thing. I watched the movie last night with dad and we both thought it was great. I thought the movie was great. This girl, Isabel May, was kind of fantastic. She could be like the next Jennifer Lawrence or something. Like, I mean, if I saw this movie and they were casting The Hunger Games, I would say, yeah, that girl's Katniss, like 
Um, it within like the first 30 minutes, it was pretty clear, like, oh, that's why this movie could not get distribution anywhere else besides the Daily Wire. It is intense. It was fucking insane. Um, you know, a lot of these school shooting movies, like it's not that much shooting, to be honest. Uh, this movie doesn't really have that issue. Like kids go down. There's not a lot of mercy shown. Um, and, it, and it, you know, it, it, it is diehard in a school, but it also has the element of, of social media, you know, uh, and, and, you know, the news media is everything's being broadcast from in, from inside, like movies like Elephant did not have that element, which makes, I think makes it even creepier. <clears throat> it just, it just felt very, very authentic. By the way, my, my favorite school shooting movie, if you will, uh, remains Zero Day uh, from, from uh, Ben Coccio. Um, but anyways, uh, Run, Hide, Fight was terrific. The thing is, I, I, I can't condone going to the Daily Wire to check it out. So that's on you. You know, I am not going to sit here and say, you know, condone pirating movies either, because there's a lot of people who, who worked on that movie who deserve you know, to be compensated. I would never say go download a movie illegally. Um, and maybe Ren Hyde Fight eventually makes its way to some other platform, whether it's iTunes or Google or YouTube Play or, you know, uh, Amazon. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have those answers for you. You may just have to be patient. That's that's really what I'm finding with a lot of these things where it's like, you know, promising young woman, news of the world, rent them for $20. And then you don't know when the price is coming down. And, and so it's like, well, you don't want to wait. It could be three months un until I get to see this movie. I got to see it now. I got to spend the 20 bucks. Um, and then 17 days later or whatever, magically the price goes down. So it's like, I don't know if this movie is going to magically appear on, on Apple uh, you know, if there was some sort of window that the Daily Wire negotiated for, um, I, I think it would be a shame if you just couldn't see this movie at all, if it was only available on the Daily Wire, because I think that there are people who don't share those politics who may just want to enjoy this movie. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. But, but like I said two weeks ago, I can see more and more websites and, and niche distributors like that pick like I think I used the example like the last blockbuster like you know if the last blockbuster was searching for distribution and nobody would buy it for some reason and we know geez everyone at Collider like or we, you know we posted a trailer and, and it was the most viewed trailer in the history of Collider and the price made sense you know, maybe one day Collider ends up buying a movie like The Last Blockbuster, putting it behind some sort of paywall on its site and and seeing what comes of it. You know, like if, if you buy the movie for 100000 200000 and you charge 10 bucks a pop to, to watch it and, and you get 100000 to 200000 people watching it, you know, you, you just made a million or $2 million or something, right? So... It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because Collider has the audience, right? We like fans come to Collider, yes, to read about other movies and, and things like that. But like, well, what if they could watch a movie here? Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of things happening, shifting. Um, so, you know, while I wish that that uh, the producers of, of Run Hide Fight had sold the movie to another website. They they saw it as this is a movie that that you know military people and, and conservatives and, and uh, 
you know, people like that, they want to watch this and they are already reading the Daily Wire. So I'm just going to put it on the Daily Wire and cross our fingers and hope for the best. Again, that, that's my not, not white privilege or, you know, straight privilege, whatever it is, it, that, that is reporter privilege that I was able to track down a link without having to pay or give my information to this website. But very, very much a movie worth watching. Uh, was, was truly impressed by it. And, and uh, I hope Kyle Rankin, the director, um, gets another shot to do something. Like, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of interesting performers in here too. Uh, some, some good young uh, actors um, who I imagine want, the, want their work seen. The other movie I watched this week uh, was it is available on VOD now. It's a bit of a frustrating experience. It was called Don't Tell a Soul. And it is with Jack Dylan Grazer from It and Shazam. And he plays uh, the younger brother of Finn Whitehead, the star of Dunkirk. And basically these two guys, these two brothers, uh, you know, a neighbor is having her house tented uh, for termites. And so they, they bust in and they steal some money that they know is, is hidden in the house. And then uh, on their way out, they run into a, a security guard played by Rain Wilson, Dwight on the office. He chases them through the woods and then falls into a well. And so now it's like, okay, the younger brother wants to help the security guard out of the well. The older brother's like, well, if you do that, the, the security guard's going to say, you know, I saw these boys coming out of this tented house. Tented house lady is, is missing thousands of dollars. Who do you think is going to get the blame for that? Um. So, you know, there's some, there's some question as to whether they should help the guy out of the well or if that's going to lead to their own downfall. Uh, now, there's, you know, this movie takes a, a twist that I don't necessarily like, think that it should have taken. And, and I think I saw it coming. I think I was sort of aware of it. Um, I think this, this, the problem with this movie is on a, it's on a script level. Uh, I, I just think it would have been much better if it hadn't gone into that that twist territory and if it had just stayed this sort of morality tale of like you know okay you, you robbed an old lady but now if you, if you leave this guy in the well he's gonna die like you know what what are you gonna do you have to question your whole belief system there um the other problem with this movie uh was finn whitehead who i who i just did not like the way that his character was presented he was way too unlikable um, like, you know, I was the older brother. I had two younger brothers and I beat the shit out of them. Like, make no mistake. And when they were of age, they got to beat the shit out of me. Like the youngest brother who I'm five years older, uh, he got to be a big boy and he could stomp my ass. Um, so, you know, maybe he only got to be that big because I put him through hell and tormented him. But at the end of the day, I also loved my brothers and I wasn't going to like, you know, punch them in the face repeated times. Yeah, we're from Boston and we're all crazy, but uh, I don't know. Like the, the brother relationship here between Finn Whitehead and Jack Razor, yeah, there's there's abuse and, and addiction and things like that play into it, but um, just didn't really ring true for me. I don't, I don't know that I, I really bought uh, that relationship. And, and so, yeah, it was... Um, it's just a little frustrating. I thought Rain Wilson was good. I thought uh, Mina Suvari as, as the boy's parents actually was, was uh, pretty good uh, for the boy's mother. <laughs> it was pretty good in the, in the film's second half. Um, you know, an interesting premise. I just don't know that the execution was fully there. I, I would have liked to have seen director Alex McCauley just do a little bit more uh, with that, that very intriguing setup. 
Um, speaking of setups, set up a premise from Malignant. I, you know, I, I think I was reading the playlist, like top 25 horror movies of the year list. Uh, and there were a couple of items where it's like, you know, the log lines under wraps. I mean, first of all, false positive, the Alana Glazer, Pierce Brosnan movie. That's like baby God. That's like, you know, Pierce Brosnan, uh, injecting his own, uh, you know, a, a fertility doctor using his own sperm, I think, to, to knock up patients. And Alana Glazer, you know, is either one of them or going to become one of them or whatever. Uh, so, but so yeah, that, I believe that's what false positive is, is about. Um, maybe there's some sort of supernatural element to this one, but uh, James Mwan's Malignant. I mean, I think it, it, it's, it, it's right there in the title, isn't it? Malignant. What do we think of malignant? Tumor, right? Something growing in you, on you, that is bad. So I think it's pretty much just about a woman who has some kind of malignant tumor, malignant being, creature, who knows, uh, growing out of some part of her body, neck, back, head. And I think that this creature gets up to some bad... It's almost a little bit like... um, that movie Sputnik, which is uh, it is available now on, on BOD. It was like a, a Russian movie. Very, very good. It was, it was like, you know, an alien type of movie. Um, if Malignant's anything like Sputnik, then I'm into it. But yeah, I, I have heard that it didn't uh, didn't turn out that great. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what the movie's about, for those wondering. Uh, the Beanpole director, whose name escapes me, another like Russian filmmaker, he signed on to direct The Last of Us, which is based on the, the big video game. I think that that is in the works over at HBO. Um, never saw Beanpole. It was on a bunch of top 10 lists. Like, you know, if I could have watched another 20 movies from 2020, Beanpole probably would have been one of them. Uh, I heard the visuals were just lush and, and, and stunning. And, you know, ultimately, that, that's really kind of what you want in a director on, on a high profile show like this, right? You want someone who can create some, some lasting images and some, some Im- imagery that's going to pop in the, in the marketing campaign. Cause this is obviously a, a big show for HBO. So, you know, I don't know much about this guy, uh, but it looks like they chose well with, with Johan Rank doing Chernobyl, right? I'm, I'm all for these kinds of guys coming in and just hitting it out of the park. Uh, David O. Russell, there was more casting. Last week we talked about Rami Malek and Zoe Saldana joining uh, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and John David Washington. This week we got even more David O. Russell casting. I mean, this is truly one of the, the best casts I've seen in a long time. I think David O. Russell just saw what Adam McKay was up to with Don't, Don't Look Up and, and uh, said, oh yeah, I'm going I'm to try to top you. Uh, he, came, he came pretty close. So joining all those people, we've got Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Timothy Oliphant, Andrea Riseborough, Alessandro Nivola, and my man, Matthias Schoenartz, plus three others who I put out a year ago. If you, if you looked at our story, I believe it was about John, I don't, I don't know if it was about John David Washington replacing Michael B. Jordan or Michael B. Jordan signing on to this project in the first place, but I put it out there. I said that David O. Russell had written roles for De Niro, Michael Shannon and Mike Myers of all people. And, and those three are part of this too. So, wow. I mean, whew. Bale, Robbie, Saldana, John David Washington, Rami Malek, Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, De Niro, Mike Shannon, Mike Myers, Timothy Oliphant, Riseboro, Nivola, and Schoenarts. Woo! Now I just can't wait to find out what this movie is about. 
Um, we talked about Bad Robot. We talked about, uh, here, here were some fun stories this week. Ed Solomon, uh, we ended up taking this story down because um, it just wasn't worth the, the, the headache. But uh, I did spend two hours this morning writing up a very funny Twitter thread from Bill and Ted co-creator Ed Solomon, who also wrote, you know, Men in Black. And I guess in the 80s, you know, he t- it was just a very funny thread, you know. Um, he was briefly, for like five, ten minutes, considered the prime suspect in the Night Stalker killings. Basically what happened is that he, uh, you know, signed or co-signed on like a, a loan uh, for his roommate's call. His roommate was going through med school, didn't have any money. Ed Solomon was working on Laverne and Shirley. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll help you, you know, get that deal done for the car. His roommate later sold the car to another guy. That guy went to, you know, Chinese food downtown, left the car in the parking lot. And Richard Ramirez, the actual night stalker, stole the car out of the parking lot, drove off to the valley and went to kill somebody. So they find the car at the crime scene. They, they look it up. They trace it back. Who's the owner? It's registered to, to Ed Solomon's address, right? Um. So- so like that, I think I thought that was kind of like hilarious. Uh, probably not so you know hilarious if you're if you're Ed Solomon. Um, uh, but anyways, it, it was a fun little thing. Hollywood Reporter ha- has a, a story on it if you want to read it. I also wrote about um, the Ringer had a great oral history on Donnie Darko this week because it premiered what twenty years ago this month at, at, at Sundance. And people didn't really know what to make of it at Sundance. There was definitely, you know, some buzz and some admiration, but it was also overshadowed by movies like, uh, you know, Memento and In the Bedroom, both of which, you know, went on to become uh, Oscar Oscar contenders. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, this story had been out there for, for some time. I think Richard Kelly had sort of talked about it before. But seeing it in an oral history, I thought it was interesting that Christopher Nolan, who, uh, who whose Memento was... Uh, made and released by new market films you know they had given nolan four and a half million dollars which i think is the same budget as donnie darko but they gave nolan four and a half million for memento uh you know and then they just decided we're just going to release it ourselves so now they had this relationship with, with nolan and uh and so you know they, they richard kelly and, and aaron Ryder, who was at new market they screened donnie darko they invite nolan and, and his wife or then girlfriend emma thomas the screening and Nolan and Thomas, they were, they were both just like, you guys have to release this movie. And it was because of that, that new market did in fact do it. And at first they were going to release it, release a direct video, um, you know, before ultimately being convinced to, to give it a shot in theaters. Of course they put it out uh, in, on Halloween or Halloween, the week of Halloween in 2001, which was shortly after nine 11. This is a movie that had a jet engine, uh, you know, falling out of the sky. So it didn't really go over too well. It became a, a, a cult classic on, on DVD and, and uh, home video and whatnot. But, you know, we may not have even seen Donnie Darko if it wasn't for Christopher Nolan. I thought that was a very interesting story. You can read more details on uh, on Collider. Um, Jim Gaffigan got cast as Smee and Peter Pan and Wendy. That makes sense to me. I could see him as, as Smee. Again, I think that's, that's a Disney Plus movie. It's not some gigantic, uh, you know, Disney theatrical release, I, you know, Jim Gaffigan, I'm actually a big fan of him as a comedian, as an actor, maybe less so. Uh, but, you know, some of the stuff that he was doing as an actor, it was more serious, dramatic fare. And I had a hard time maybe taking him seriously. I also have a hard time taking Kristen Wiig kind of uh, seriously in that stuff. 
Um, but uh, you know, Gaffigan as Smee, yeah, I can get, I can get on board with that. That 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 makes sense. Um, Freaks and Geeks is going to go to Hulu. Finally, somebody is putting that show up in in full, and it's going to have the the original soundtrack too. So Freaks and Geeks, one of the all time best shows, even though it only lasted one season. You know, it, it features half of Hollywood before they were stars. Franco and Rogan, my man Sam Levine, Jason Siegel. Uh, just, just, just a great show. And there's probably so many people who haven't seen it because they don't own a DVD player or haven't bought the DVDs. And uh, you know, can't can't wait to revisit that on Hulu. And, and kudos to to the streaming service for for paying out you know the music rights to keep everything intact. All right, we talked about Netflix. HBO just announced a Game of Thrones prequel titled "The Tales of Duncan Egg." If you think I'm going to spend more than 10 seconds on this item, you're completely wrong. Don't watch Game of Thrones. Uh, don't care about the new dra- uh, House of the Dragon show. Don't care about this prequel. Don't know who Duncan Egg are. Don't care who plays them. But you know what? I know Game of Thrones fans are happy because they've been clamoring for this for a long time. A uh, bunch of release date shifts. We got dates for Nightmare Alley, which is coming out now in December. Antlers is in October uh what else is that we still didn't get a date for french dispatch like likely because the fate of that movie is just tied to the Cannes film festival and, and nobody knows what the hell is going on with the, the, the Cannes film festival uh i think it's been moved from may to july we'll see if you, if it can even go on then i mean if, if french dispatch does not come out this july i think you just got to forget about a can birth and just put it out there. I mean, you can't wait another year, right? This isn't the kind of movie that you, you just hold over indefinitely. Uh, Bios moved back, I think from April to August. That's the Tom Hanks movie, uh, right? From, is that Miguel Sapochnik? Also a Game of Thrones guy. And then the movie in, in, in reverse news, Godzilla vs. Kong is moving up. Every movie's moving back except for Godzilla vs. Kong, which has moved up to March since it is, uh, they worked out a deal for it to debut on HBO Max. Um, so yeah, that, that, that'll be another one to look forward to. Um, what else is there? Matt Damon, Matt Damon coming back for Thor love and thunder. I don't know if he's going to be, if it's like a, I'm a Matt Damon cameo, if he's playing, you know, is he playing an Asgardian actor who played Loki or is he playing, uh, I've already worked my, I, I've already put too much on it. I don't care. You know, I, I'll see L- Thor Love and Thunder and I'll say, Oh my God, there's Matt Damon. And then, and that, and then I'll move on with my life. Um, but yeah, good, good. I mean, every, everybody's coming back for this movie. It seems like it's just jam packed. All the guardians are in it. Everybody's just coming out now confirming. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think, I think actors are kind of sick of playing the game, by the way. It's like, why, why, why does this need to be top secret news? Like if I'm being photographed stepping off a plane, you know, in Australia or Atlanta or wherever it is like, uh, okay, yeah, it's true. You, you got me. It's me. I'm in it. Um, RIPs this week to uh, Anthony Rulin, the producer. Good, a good guy uh, lost his battle with addiction and uh, you know, he, he will be missed. Um, and then also banana, the Ben Affleck, Ana de Armas relationship up in smoke. Uh, I don't know. It makes sense to me. Like they, they, they filmed one steamy erotic thriller, Adrian Lyons movie, right? Uh, Dark Waters. Um, and then, you know, things, they move on. They're in different places in their lives, right? He, he's almost like twice as old as her or something. He, he's, what is he, in his late 40s now? And she's in her early 30s. 
I don't know if she wanted kids. That's usually around the time that, that women start thinking about that kind of stuff. Ben may have been like, I don't want any more kids, you know. Uh, it may have also been the geography thing that, that she was like, I don't want to live in Los Angeles, especially right now. And Ben's like, well, I, I'm tied to Los Angeles. This is where my family is. So, you know, regardless of whatever happened between them, we got a whole year practically of, of, of fun photographs and, and memes and things like that, all culminating with, you know, garbage men pulling, uh, you know, the Anna de Armas cardboard cutout out of the trash. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't get much better than that, folks. Um, trailers this week. We saw a trailer for Boogie, Eddie Huang's movie about a Chinese American basketball player. I, you know, basketball is my personal favorite sport. Never watched an episode of Fresh Off the Boat, but I'm going to check this out. Uh, it's also the, the, the final film, I believe, from the late rapper Pop Smoke. We got a trailer for Kevin James' new Netflix series, The Crew, which looks like it'll appeal to the same people who watched The Ranch and, and made that a huge hit for Netflix. I mean, I, you know, I don't care about NASCAR, don't care about the culture at all. Uh, it's, it's not a, my alley, even though, you know, I do like Kevin James. We got a trailer for The Equalizer. This is another, like, you know, CBS is mounting a little bit of a comeback between The Equalizer and Clarice. They got some high-profile shows uh, coming out. I just, like I said in my post, I, I just don't buy Queen Latifah, you know, as some kind of uh, ass-kicker these days. Uh, you know, the Queen Latifah set it off. Yeah, I would not want to run into her in, in a back alley. Like, the Queen Latifah from Set It Off would fuck you up. But The Equalizer, I mean, she's, she's trying to fill Denzel Washington's shoes... I don't know. I just seeing her move around, throw a punch. I'm like, eh, I just, I'm not buying it. And she also just looked too glammed up. Like, give me, if you want me to buy Queen Latifah as the equalizer, like bring back old school Queen Latifah, man. Get her a little heavy, you know, have her gain a little weight for this role. Uh, new trailer for Boss Level, Joe Carnahan's movie with, with, with Frank Grillo and Mel Gibson. I'm always going to be in Grillo and Carnahan's corner but I, I can't recommend that movie. I'm not a big time loop guy in, in, in general. That's why I was mixed on, on Palm Springs. Um, although we're going to be talking about Palm Springs uh, in just a second. We also got uh, a trailer for Willy's Wonderland starring Nicolas Cage fighting anima evil animatronic robots. Like, yes, sign me up. That is exactly what Nicolas Cage should be doing uh, in every movie, frankly. Um, whew. Gee, I'm missing out on a ton of interesting Slack stuff. What do I got? What do I got here? Is it almost time to get into Oscar talk? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's just, you know, we're going to wrap up the show with some Oscar talk. So I am in the Gurus of Gold, right? Which is uh, the the you know Oscar experts on uh, Movie City News, David Poland's site, and it's all you know organized by by Ray Pride, uh, good guy over there. You know I'm not part of the Gold Derby. I'm not one of the Derbyites. Uh, you know Perry and Mance are, are represented on there. They got they got more than enough uh, Oscar experts on that site, and people who aren't even Oscar experts. Um, but so I did have to send in my my top picks. I had to do 12 for, for Best Picture, seven for Actress, Actor, and Director, and Animated Feature. So, you know, two extra bonus choices, essentially, per category. So the results have not been published yet, but I, I, I can still talk about my own picks. 
you know, I don't know what the ultimate consensus is going to be, but I want to go into my own picks and why I rank things where, where I did. So let's start with, um, start with animated and then do actor, actress, and then, and then director and culminate and picture. We'll wrap up this podcast. Uh, animated. I've seen two animated movies this year. I'm really not the guy to ever weigh in on the animated race. I think soul is kind of the clear front runner. I mean, we're talking about that movie for a best picture nomination, right? So it stands to reason it would be in the number one contender slot uh, for animated feature. And number two, I put Wolf Walkers, which I've heard nothing but fantastic things about. Uh, and I know the Academy really likes, you know, the, that filmmaker and filmmaking team. Three is Over the Moon, which is just, I think that's a Netflix animated movie. And I've heard, you know, a lot of good buzz uh, around that. Uh, Four is Onward, um, which I saw at the beginning of the year. It was the last movie that I saw in theaters, as long as we don't count, excuse me, my tenant press screening. I thought Onward was kind of terrific. Um, and the end was devastating. The end hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, some, you know, I, I preferred Onward to Soul, but I'm also not ready to say Onward is in a better position than Soul, because I think Soul meant a lot to a lot of people. Five, I put Earwig and the Witch, um, if only because it seems like the Academy really likes like indie animation and stuff. And then six and seven, I did the Willoughby's and, and the Crudes and New Age. You know, the, I saw a lot of people predicting Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon. I, I, I mean, are adults really choosing Shaun the Sheep movies to nominate for Oscars? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I like my five. I like my five in that category. Best director. Or you know what? Let's do best actor. Best actor. So I put it out there because people, I think it was Ann Thompson. She said something about, you know, Tom Hanks and News of the World um, and whether he's going to get a nomination or not. And I think that he will. I have Tom Hanks in my five slot right now. And I said, it's not a very deep year for best actor. And people were like, yes, it is. Like, well, what are you talking about? And then they named like three people. Like, you know, best actor, normally there's like 12 people. Now there's four. There's really four people who are getting nominated. And then the fifth slot is up for grabs, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. So number one in my book is Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. That was my favorite movie of the year. And I thought he was dynamite in it. Most people's number one is Chadwick Boseman uh, from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, who I have in the number two slot. Chadwick will probably win it, and not just because he, he passed away, but because he is truly great in the movie. I thought he was fantastic. Um, I would give Riz the edge just because uh, Levy is, you know, he's been, he's a character who's been around. Like he's been played by many, many actors before. Um, you know, he, he just, I felt like Riz created the character of Ruben with Darius Martyr. Uh, and so I almost feel like Chadwick had more to work with. Um, and to me, Riz's degree of difficulty having to, you know, do the drumming and, uh, you know, sign language. It's just, I, I think Riz Ahmed deserves this Oscar. Um, if, I wish we could give out two. But that is why I decided to put him at number one over Chadwick at number two. Number three is Delroy Lindo, who everybody agrees was fantastic in Five Bloods. Uh, and number four, a movie that I haven't seen. And, and frankly, it's Sony Pictures Classics. Like, what the fuck? Like, where? I haven't even gotten, like, emails about The Father. Like, put this movie on my radar. Put it more on voters' radars. Because if, if there is one movie this entire award season that has just been swallowed up by a lack of press and things like that, to me, it's the father. I, I think the studio is doing a bad job with it. But I think Anthony Hopkins is going to get in, right? He's just a past Oscar winner. Hasn't really done 
a lot of great, great stuff. Well, I, I did love the two popes, uh, right? But um, yeah, hasn't done a lot of top tier work, and he thinks that this represents, you know, some of his his best uh, work ever. Uh, so I, I do think that voters will pay attention to that. So that's four. The fifth slot, I'm between three guys. And, and I don't think Gary Oldman for Mank has much of a shot. I, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how much support there is for Mank inside the Academy. I couldn't stand the movie. I couldn't stand spending five minutes with Gary Oldman, uh, who's playing a drunk, you know, however witty he may, his character may be. Um, so I, I really think the five slot is between Tom Hanks and News of the World and Stephen Yen and Minari. I liked Minari a lot. I liked it a lot more than News of the World. I'll tell you that. But it's a very internal performance. It's not, it's not a big, loud, out there performance from Stephen Yen. If he didn't get it for Burning, uh, I just don't know if he's going to get it here. So, you know, the Tom Hanks COVID scare earlier this year, I think that it really um, made us realize that we don't, like, we take this guy for granted. He hasn't been nominated since Castaway, I don't think. You know, we've overlooked turns in, in Captain Phillips and, uh, you know, the, the Walt Disney movie, Saving Mr. Banks. So I just feel like, okay, this isn't Tom Hanks' best work, but this is a movie that I think everyone can agree is good. I didn't think it was great. I'll probably never see it again, but it was good. It's a good flick, News of the World. Well made. And uh, yeah, I, I think that we almost lost Tom Hanks at the start of the year. Like we got to show this guy some appreciation. And I think he does get in because of that. Best actress. I, I've got Frances McDormand in, in the top spot for me. For Nomadland, I think she's kind of the clear front runner, although she's not the sexy choice because she's won twice before. Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, it, it really has the heat. She has the momentum right now. I just don't know if, if that movie is going to prove to be too polarizing and divisive. Um, but I think that both of them get in. I think Viola Davis gets in from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She, she was, uh, you know, great. Um, Vanessa Kirby was great in Pieces of a Woman. I think she gets in. And then the five slot, even though I haven't seen Malcolm and Marie in it, and I don't think it's going to be great. Uh, she just has awards momentum. She's the reigning Emmy champ Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie. Really just because I haven't seen French exit. So I, I couldn't really put Michelle Pfeiffer over that movie. And I think that more people are going to see Malcolm and Marie because it's Netflix and, and because it's just, you know, I think people would rather watch that movie than, than a movie like French exit. Um, and seven, seven, I put Meryl Streep in the prom, which, you know, it, it's Meryl, so you can never count her out. But I, I don't feel like the prom is getting any awards traction this season. Um, but yeah, I decided to give the edge to the, the ingenue uh, Zendaya and, and Vanessa Kirby over veterans like Michelle Pfeiffer and Meryl Streep. But, you know, I could, I could totally be wrong about one of those. Um, best director, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland. I think this is the only Oscar I'm comfortable like locking up. Chloe Zhao is going to win the Oscar for Nomadland. I don't really see anyone who could even potentially beat her for that award. Number two, as much as I couldn't stand the movie and not don't really think it's going to be embraced, David Fincher with what he did, you know, with Mank, um, the, the gorgeous black and white, that just the attention to detail, the production design, like it's hard to argue that this is not a very well crafted, beautifully made movie, even though, you know, it's boring as fuck and, and, you know, all that. Uh, so I, I think Fincher gets in. Uh, I put George C. Wolf down for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom just because I think that that is a really, really good movie. Um, and, and it did overcome its theatrical origins, its, its stage origins. 
Um, I just really liked his, his adaptation of it and, and, and the way that it was filmed. And you're in there with, in, in, in those, you know, rooms sweating with, with those characters. Uh, I was very impressed by, by what George C. Wolfe accomplished. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, I think he gets into. I just think Minari is a beautifully made film. It, it, it's, you can just see the filmmaking chops there. Um, he is going to have a very promising career. And then number five, I put Regina King for One Night in Miami. That is more about Regina King and less about One Night in Miami. I, I just think everybody loves Regina King. And why wouldn't you? Regina King is wonderful. Um, you know, but I, I could see where maybe she does get snubbed because it is just, you know, a lot of guys talking in a hotel room. The movie gets better as it goes along. And, and I like how it how it climaxes. Um but yeah, I decided to put her over Sorkin just because to me, even though The Trial of the Chicago 7 may be a better directed movie than One Night in Miami, I don't know that it is. I still feel like the direction is like a drawback. Like the writing is just much stronger than the direction. I think that if it had another director, that movie would be even better than it is. And I, I just don't know if the if the industry is ready to wrap its head around Aaron Sorkin as an Oscar-nominated director in addition to writer. Like, he's going to get the writing nomination. Maybe that that is all that he gets. I, I just have a hard time buying that they're going to nominate him for both things. Uh, seven is Darius Martyr for Sound of Metal, which is just coming on strong this award season. Like, you can just feel that movie gaining momentum. I told my high school buddies they had to check it out, and they reported back this week, two of them, and they were like, we loved it. I just haven't heard anybody say like, no, nah, that movie just wasn't for me. Um, you know, directorially, it's gorgeous. I love the decisions that he makes. Um, it's very much kind of, there's a poetry to it. Just like I found that there was a poetry to The Place Beyond the Pines, which he did not direct, but, uh, you know, he, he co-wrote. Um, I would love to see Darius Martyr slip into this final five. I just don't know if he's going to. Uh, and I do think that, um, you know, di diversity. Uh, like if, if Darius Martyr was a black guy, I would feel very comfortable saying that he would get a nomination actually. Um, or if he was, you know, a, a famous actor like a Regina King who people knew and then this was his first movie, which, which it is, uh, I, I would feel more comfortable. But I just don't think enough people know who Darius Martyr is, like the name, the, the face, all that. Uh, and then we move on to Best Picture, which is where we're going to wrap up this podcast. There's 12 movies on the list. I, I kind of agonized over it, particularly the, the, uh, you know, the second half of the slots. But I decided to go with Nomadland at number one. I think Nomadland is still the consensus frontrunner. Um, you know, I, I see One Night in Miami gaining momentum, but I preferred Ma Rainey's Black Bottom just a little bit. And I do worry that those two movies are going to appeal to uh, the same type of voter. Uh, and by that, I don't just mean, you know, a black voter. I think that, you know, there's a lot of white people who are going to feel that these are the best movies of the year. Um, so I gave one a night in Miami, the edge, even though I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a little bit better. But Nomadland, I had over both of them um, because of that potential vote splitting. At number four, I put Promising Young Woman. Uh, again, just because I think of the people who, who like that movie really like that movie. I think they kind of like, 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 I think even David Poland said, like, you know, uh, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You watch those movie, movies one time, 
Promising Young Woman is really the movie in the race that you can watch four or five, six times. Like that, that movie has rewatchability value that the others may not. Uh, five, I put Trial of the Chicago Seven just because, yeah, you know, pe- people did like that movie. It's, it's a good movie. Like News of the World. It's just, I don't think you can deny it. It's a good, well-made movie. Is it best picture to me? No. Six is Sound of Metal. Um, like I said, for, you know, earlier reasons, I just think that is, you know, far and away the, the, the best movie of the year. And I don't think it will be ignored. Seven, I put Minari and eight, I put the father, even though I haven't seen the father, same sort of thing. I think that older white male Academy voters are going to get behind that. And I think Minari is sort of the, the, you know, hot indie to get behind, uh, you know, this year. Uh, the the A twenty four movie, if you will, nine. So this is where it started to get interesting because I think that those eight are in. I think that those may even be the eight best picture nominees. Nine, I put News of the World. Um, you know, Greengrass, a big Universal spend. Tom Hanks, like this is the movie that could easily be snubbed, but I don't. It doesn't feel like exploitive, like maybe a Captain Phillips did to some people. Uh, the fact that this, you know, has literary roots, I think, you know, gives it a little bump. I mean, there's also not a ton of competition. But if I had to say nine movies are getting in this year, I, News of the World would be my ninth. The Five Bloods is number 10. Um, again, I think this movie gets messy in, in its third act, but people still really like Spike and, and you have to respect that cast. Uh, and 11, 11 is an interesting one. 11, I put Palm Springs because I do think that a lot of people liked Palm Springs. And I think that this is the kind of year where a comedy like that could sneak into the race. Just, you know, it's, it's something that makes people feel good. Unlike almost all these other movies, uh, you know, on, on, on this list, it's just, it's just different. And I think that being different could help it. And 12, I put make, you know, like I said, you just don't know how much support that's going to have below the line and, and, and everything like that. I wanted to put soul on, um, but ultimately did not because Soul's an animated movie. And I think that it's just going to be relegated to the animated race. I, I think it's just very tough for an animated movie, unless it's like a surefire. This was an incredible masterpiece. I think it's tough to crack the field. And, and Soul, I, I gave two and a half stars to. I, I think that there were a lot of people who had issues with that movie. Um, so yeah, that's how I see the Oscars right now at this date. But go over to the Gurus of Gold. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. Friday seems like a good day that Ray Pride would update it. Uh, and, and check out what the consensus is. I can't wait to see what my other gurus uh, have to say about it. Um, that will do it for this week's episode of the Snyder Cut. I got to catch up on all the slack drama going on at Collider. Um, I'm sure there's a ton of news that broke too that I got to jump on. So I'm going to wrap this one up a little short. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, I will see you next week. And again, I pledge to do better. Um, I, I, just did not feel good uh, about the last couple of weeks of the show. You know, I, I have the tendency to, to work myself into a tizzy and, and I, you know, I, I say things that I don't mean or, or that I just say the wrong way. Um, I'm not afraid to say controversial stuff, but you know, I'll, I'll own it when I, when I think I fuck up and uh, yeah, you're, 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 I'm going to do better. I'm going to slow things down and uh, try to give a little bit more structure to this thing. Anyways, your comments, concerns are always welcome. But, uh, you know, DM me, shoot me a a note. I'm very easy to find. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email. We don't need to, you know, light up the the YouTube comment section every time or whatever. Not that I even check it out because I haven't. But, uh, yeah, you can always come to me 
think I'm a, a pretty good listener and a reasonable guy. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. Go Joe!